Hi, everyone. This is Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, my name's Matt, and I'm going to be your host. To introduce myself, I am a cis white gay man living in Chicago. I moved here six months ago, and I've been with Howard Brown for three, so I'm still learning. Uh, and that's uh, kind of the joy of this podcast. I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Uh, joining us today, is Liz Thompson. Would you mind sharing your, your name and your uh, role here at Howard Brown and your pronouns? Yeah, I'm Liz Thompson. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I am a cis, white, queer woman, um, and I am the director of public health at Howard Brown. Director of public health. Now, I am still getting acquainted with all the titles here. Um, what, uh, what what does that entail? <laughs> public health is a pretty big department. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it mostly focuses on sexual health services, although we are expanding that. Um, so we have our sexual and reproductive health walk-in clinics um, in both the South and North Side, where folks can come and access affordable HIV and STI screening, um, as well as Hep A and B vaccinations, contraceptives, um, etc. Uh, we also provide outreach services um, that provide HIV STI screening all over the city, taking the clinical services to the folks. Um, We also have our prep and pet program. There are plenty of staff in that program that help folks access pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is a once-daily pill that a person can take to prevent HIV, or post-exposure prophylaxis, which is a series of medication that they can take uh, to prevent HIV infection as well. Gotcha. So it's, it sounds like uh, public health is kind of the services that Howard Brown might be known for across the city that Howard Brown kind of initially started with. The sexual health walk-in clinics, yeah. um, prep, HIV services, that that kind of thing. But yeah, pretty as much. Howard Brown has expanded, I'm sure this oh, department is expanding along with it. Yeah. So um, I want to make sure I mention the others. Yes, yes, we yes. have our uh, partner services program, um, which basically you know helps folks uh, reach out to uh, others that might need um, syphilis or HIV screening who may have been exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have our adult linkage to care um, for people who are newly diagnosed with HIV. Um, and we also have our amazing COVID-19 contact tracing team that is starting to take on quite a lot, huh. um, not just COVID-19 testing, but helping folks navigate um, vaccination and a lot of other stuff too. Yeah, uh, I would say moving here in, in June, Howard Brown is kind of one of the first organizations I heard of here, moving to, to the Lakeview area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of hard to go anywhere or talk to people without it coming up in, in some fashion. So mm-hmm. it's it's been a great experience to kind of start out as a patient and then transfer to uh, being an employee. But today I wanted to bring you in to talk a little bit about queer uh, uh, dating and and networking uh, and how it relates to sexual health and psych- um, psychological emotional health mm. health um, it's a big topic um, but I know it's mm. it's one that almost every queer person can relate to um, which is why I wanted to do one of our first few episodes on it what do you think are some advantages or disadvantages of queer dating apps in general mm. Uh, well, before I dive into yeah. this, um, you know, as a cis, white, queer woman, um, my experience is going to vary significantly um, from others. 
um, particularly those who are trans, um, mm. folks who are uh, Latinx or Black or Asian or um, you know other es- ethnicities that aren't white. Um, and so you know, I just I want to put that out there. I'm going to um, echo the same thing right now because <laughs> we were talking before we started recording. You know, our our experiences are very much not indicative mm-hmm. of everybody else's experiences. So I'll speak to what I know uh, and uh, kind of have have heard from other mm-hmm. people, and I'm sure you'll do the same. But it's a, it's a good disclaimer to get out there. Yes, um, and I also would like to say that um, we have a couple of programs in the department that I oversee that actively use uh, apps like Grindr, Scruff, Are you saying that if I were to be on Grindr, I would have seen Howard Brown or is it like an incognito? You might encounter a health educator that can provide more information about PrEP or our HIV STI screening services. So they're just hanging out on those Mm -hmm. apps? Yes, they're active and they are just, you know, kind of on there passively fielding any questions that folks have. We have um, an amazing community engagement specialist uh, with our prep team that can actually schedule appointments for patients right then and there. Via grinder. That's mm-hmm. insane. I mean, it's so smart. You got to bring it to where the people are and give them the resources when when they need it, especially mm-hmm. if they're on the app, like no better time. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So I guess we would cite that as an advantage to these yes. apps of like, you know, if you're if you're in the healthcare field, you can kind of take these resources to people directly via the internet um mm-hmm. there's no delay when it comes to seeking uh seeking treatment so mm-hmm. i would say that's a pro yeah it's def- definitely a useful platform um to pr- provide information um i would also say that it's definitely it can definitely be a bridge for folks who um you know maybe live in an area where that they're not familiar mm. with, they're not super comfortable, you know, where they can be out about, you know, being queer. And, you know, it's it's an easy, convenient way to find a activity partner. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I will say that was my experience. I grew up in a small town, lived with my parents. And while I was out to them, uh, it wasn't necessarily a community where I would feel comfortable being mm-hmm. socially out or publicly out. So it was much easier to be on, you know, Tinder or even via Instagram um, just to meet other queer people, not even mm-hmm. necessarily in a sexual way, just to like kind of validate that part of my existence of like, yep, I mm-hmm. am gay and I like talking to other gay people. This yeah. is normal. <laughs> you know, that's that's a huge part of it too that was my only other queer interaction uh in in those years was just talking to people online um until I moved here that is that's I mean I was the one of the only gay people I knew of so right it's it's a great resource um I do know so my dad is gay and so you know from the older generation's perspective not having access to tools like that, it can it can be really terrifying. Mm. Um, you know, if you are attracted to someone, you know, how can you tell? I mean, we have those really nifty, you know, flagging practices. Yeah, uh, I, I would say going hankies in your pocket. I was looking into that going back <laughs> into like queer history of like mm-hmm. you know colors of handkerchiefs or, or you know a, 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 a flower on your lapel mm. or something like that. And, and now it's just like, you'll get a notification on your phone. So mm-hmm. things have certainly changed. That was one of my first questions of like, in the advent of digital dating, are we like doing ourselves a disservice mm. by kind of jumping past those initial contacts uh, and just like cutting straight to the chase? Cause anybody who's been, who's been on Grindr knows there's no like, you know, 
very little, <laughs> at least, hi, how are you, kind of feeling each other out. It, it's very blunt and mm-hmm. on the nose. And while that has pros, um, it also feels like it has cons. Uh, and I feel like it has ramifications for how queer people interact. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but... Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a culture, right? Um, you know, are the dating apps or, you know, the partner finding the sex seeking Mm -hmm. apps or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think there's definitely been a culture that's developed around it, um, in terms of like, you know, social norms. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, for folks who are maybe looking for, you know, long-term partners, maybe looking for romance or, you know, um, not just a one night stand. Um, I think, you know, they, they might face some challenges there. Um, however, it is still possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I met my partner on Tinder, yeah. uh, yeah. I <laughs> together mean, for I've, almost I've, five years. That's so. incredible. I filmed <laughs> weddings for uh, a long time and a, a decent amount of the, they were all straight couples, but, um, even then they were all Tinder matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's not impossible. Speaking personally, I did meet my boyfriend via a, a group chat. We had mutual friends, uh, but the group chat was centered around Super Smash Brothers, the, like the the Switch video oh, game. That's uh, cute. It, but I had like played it through college, and one of my college friends was like, "Do you want to join this group chat?" Uh, and then it was like randomly all queer men from Chicago. So I was mm. like, "Well, this is perfect." Uh, mm. So I, I kind of got lucky that way. But I know for a lot of people, uh, that is the reality of just meeting people online. What? ramifications kind of leaning this more towards the actual healthcare aspect of it. Um, do you think uh, the advent of these apps has increased the need for sexual health services or has the need always been kind of constant where just it's more visible now? Yeah, I, I definitely want to be careful and not like shame folks for right. using the apps um, and, you know, further stigmatize it. I, I think that there are a lot of folks, especially in academia, um, that, you know, make the connection that, oh, using uh, Grindr or using Scruff or using these apps are, you know, it's a risk factor. Mm. On paper, do you think that, you know, having those Grindr accounts has has really made an impact in, in our caseload and the amount of people that we're seeing for these sexual health services? Um, so I will, I, I have looked at some literature reviews. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I do know that there are some connections to, um, you know, folks who report use of grinder. Um, there can be a correlation between, um, you know, folks having anonymous partners, mm-hmm. um, you know, which can potentially be, uh, you know, risk factor for HIV or STI infection. Um, there also can be a correlation with, you know, having multiple partners. Um, and there can also be a potential correlation, um, for, uh, condomless, um, activity. So, um, you know, I think that that's definitely something to consider. And I I think, you know, for going along the lines of like talking about, um, disadvantages, I think that, these apps, especially like the culture that's kind of developed around them that you, uh, you know, sort of alluded to earlier. I mean, it really has an impact on mental health, Mm. um, you know, in terms of like body image, um, race, you know, the color of your skin. Um, there, there are folks who will use your image and, um, you know, attach it to a fetish, 
Um, and it's, it can, it can, I mean, it can have a negative impact on a person's mental health for sure. That's, that's the big crux of kind of this topic in my mind, because I know for me and a lot of other queer people on these apps, uh, it's, it's hard to not take things personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you see somebody on the street, um, you pass each other by, it's not like a, oh, they're not, they're not interested in me. It's just normal because mm-hmm. you, you don't think about these things, but on an app, if you don't match with somebody or, you know, they don't respond to a conversation or something, it's like, oh, they, you know, I take this personally. And so mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it is very hard to exist in those spaces and not kind of take a critical eye towards yourself of like, well, if only I had this, mm-hmm. or if only I looked like that. And, and especially in these apps, a lot of people kind of use um, either anonymity that some of these apps provide or just the, the cover of a screen to kind of take prejudices and um, dress them up as preferences. Mm-hmm. That's an ongoing conversation of like, you know, it, it's, it's okay to connect with certain people and not other people, but uh, the way people phrase things and, and the way you communicate them, that can be really, really hurtful. It, it matters. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do remember um, a team that I managed at a different agency. You know, we, we'd also use the apps to engage folks around um, HIV-STI education um, and services. And, you know, I've, I've seen what the profiles look like, you know, people saying no Asians or, yeah. you know, um, no fat people or it, it's really, you know, with the anonymity that um, is afforded some folks with these apps, it kind of <sighs> creates opportunities for that boldness, yeah. you know, and, and kind of like normalizes it in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, really people harmful. say like the, like no fats, no femmes when they're like joking at being exclusionary, but they're joking and it's a stereotype now because it has been so prevalent, uh, you know, on, on Grindr and Tinder mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so I, I totally understand that it's so, it's so hard for people to exist in these spaces, but by the same token, these spaces for a lot of people, like we said, are, are the, you know, the first time they can experience sexual liberation Mm -hmm. and it offers them the best chance, um, to have meaningful interactions with people. So Mm -hmm. I, it's a huge question, but like, how can, you know, an average app user, whoever they may be of, of whatever ethnicity, how can we use it in a way that is preserving our mental health, but mm. also um, kind of putting ourselves out there and, and allowing ourselves the the chance to have meaningful mm. interactions. Yeah, I think like clarifying your expectations and clarifying like what your goals are um, for the app um, may be meaningful. Um, I think maybe limiting <laughs> the use. I remember in my Tinder days, um, I would swipe out of boredom oh yeah like oh i need a little like ego boost or something you know like and that that i mean that impacted my mental health yeah and and it like when you do that it also impacts other people's mental Mm -hmm. health because they may think you want a genuine connection you're like i just want somebody to tell me i'm pretty yeah it's like you're on the app but you're not in a vacuum like you you You, do have these connections your actions you know influence other people Uh and that's a great um disclaimer to make of like, look, I'm just here to swipe, not necessarily for anything else. Mm-hmm. And that way people can really set their expectations because I mean, the advent of like ghosting and in, in popular culture mm. and everything, it's, uh, it's quite the issue. So mm-hmm. uh, that's something I feel like everybody has encountered yeah. gay, straight, whatever you're coming to a dating app for is like, Oh, 
this person did not have the same expectations I did. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, you can, and that's, I would say that's also, that's an advantage of using, um, apps is that you can, um, you know, sort of get some things out of the way. Maybe it's a, a more comfortable place for folks to talk about, um, you know, navigating what things they find pleasurable and mm-hmm. what things that they're not willing to do. Um, and that's true. It does kind of establish, you know, what you're in for mm-hmm. right off the bat, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, some people may not feel as inclined to share those things in the moment. Um, yeah. Like how, how a lot of folks don't know how to talk about that stuff. Yeah, like, it is. And, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Saying it in person is very different than, you know, just getting it out of the way in, in a chat room. So, yeah. to, you know, to Grinder's credit, there there is that. So you, mm-hmm. you can kind of establish things of, of what you're into. But, um, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, you also have to be able to say what you're not there for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think everybody would be well served if if we all kind of had those expectations and, and clarity going into it. So I know Howard Brown offers partner services. So um, if you go in for, you know, a walk-in sexual health visit uh, and you can say, I've, you know, I've had contact with this person. All I have is a phone number or maybe a loose description. You're telling me partner services will mm-hmm. kind of like... FBI it to find this person and let them know like that that's a little uh kind of crazy that you can just (laughs) like here I think this person and they'll 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 do it that's what you're saying Uh uh-huh they um they the sometimes the you know someone who comes in who tests positive for syphilis or tests positive for HIV um you know will offer this anonymous service say, hey, are there folks that you've come into contact with who may also need to get screened um, or, you know, treated for exposure? Um, And, you know, when we reach out to folks that, you know, whose contact information are shared, you know, it's completely anonymous. We're not sharing with them the identity of the person. It's Mm -hmm. it's very general. It's very like, you know, um, let's, you know, bring you, you may have come into contact, like, Let's, how can we bring, help bring you in for services, um, for screening services. And sometimes, um, the person will only have like screen names. Mm, um, that, and, and they I use know, the apps. I, I know those screen names, uh, can range from mild to wild. Uh-huh. So that's, uh, I can't imagine being in that role and be like, I'm tracking down Dom Daddy 69. Yep. <laughs> There's, uh, that's. A, a funny mental image for me. Just it, it really. <laughs> how do you how do you get hired in that role of like I'm really good at finding random people online, or you just get you do you train everybody that you hire? Yeah, into that? Okay. yeah. Everyone receives training, and you know we also make sure when we're interviewing candidates for the roles that they're comfortable talking about sex. Yeah. Um, they're not squeamish because you know can't be. They might uh, open up a profile and just see a butthole. Yeah, you know, it like is, it is what it is. <laughs> they just. It's normal for them. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense, but that's that's <laughs> just so crazy to me that that's a role. The part of what you touched on earlier is, um, and the key part of partner services is kind of like the the shame or um, stigma associated mm-hmm. with, um, you know, STIs or or any you know condition that somebody might be seeking treatment for. Mm-hmm. Um, over you know, World AIDS Day was December first, so I've been doing a lot of research into. Um, kind of how uh, epidemics function and and what furthers them and, and stigma really is mm-hmm. um, a big um, it, it propels d- 
diseases forward because people are sh- scared of, you know, sharing of telling people. So um, it, it strikes me as very important that we offer partner services because it, it offers an anonymous and safe way for people to tell other people no, because I mean, who, who wants to be the person to be like, hey, I think I gave you syphilis. Oh, Nobody yeah. wants to do that. And so if we can, if we can help them with that and, and, you know, um, stop something before it can spread further, that's, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Clutch. Um, so that's incredible that we offer that. You know, it's it's actually like uh, an accepted practice among other agencies like Howard Brown. Hmm. And so it's kind of like integrating HIV STI prevention like into this like space and culture. I love I love the attitude Howard Brown tor- has towards affirming people's healthcare, whatever mm-hmm. whatever your preferences are, whatever your habits are, sexually, whatever we're here for all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's so refreshing because it's yeah. something I had no experiences with moving here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, when, when it comes to um, agencies like Howard Brown, you know, integrating that health education into the app space, there's, there is a wrong way mm-hmm. to go about it. So like I said, we, um, you know, train our staff to do it passively um, so, you know, folks, we're here if you need us, yes. Not, yeah. um, here's my profile. It's going to pop up in your list of people who are mm-hmm. in your area. We're not going to message you directly, you know, cause that can be, mm, yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. had, we've had complaints in the past. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we've definitely addressed it. And so this is really the best place to go because like, you know, folks, need a space to you know not have messaging shoved down their throats yeah right yeah Um, and that's that's something else queer people kind of have to deal with of like not only um do you have to feel like you know have you know having sex or or feeling sexually open or free or whatever uh is okay for yourself like you have Mm -hmm. to get past the barrier of coming out and being comfortable with that Mm -hmm. but uh also of doing it in, an, in, in a community. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's all sorts of other messaging around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of complex layers that go into like why somebody would be on a dating app, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the queer space that I think is interesting because, uh, yeah, as a queer person, you're drawn to it because it is one of the only places you can meet people, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of the easiest way to stick a toe in the water. Mm-hmm. Like I was on, you know, queer dating apps before I had come out to anybody because I was like, this is, the easiest way to like see if this is what I want. Um, And so it's important that when Howard Brown is in those spaces that we kind of create a nurturing environment for people to seek out resources if they need them and not to kind of say like, oh, you're on here. Well, this is the right way to do it. And and kind of. Yeah, it can be, it can be predatory. And sometimes like, sometimes it can be, um, you know, the antithesis of, of what we're trying to do. It can, it can, you know, further stigmatize. Yeah we are on this app because you're risky. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, the the presence alone can kind of create some sort of connotation Mm -hmm. when really it's like, it's fine if you want to do this. We just want to. Yeah. We're here if you need us. Right. Exactly. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to, to touch on, um, and this kind of relates back to what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast of like, you know, our identities, um, are a very small piece of the puzzle here. Um, grinder and Tinder and all those things as they apply to gay men, um, don't really apply to a, a broader spectrum of the queer community. There's mm-hmm. no apps for queer women or for, you know, trans or gender nonconforming individuals. How, how does somebody of one of those identities um, 
find the similar kind of validation online? Is there an avenue? And uh, how does that impact their, their sense of their identity and how they fit into the queer yeah. puzzle? I, so I have to say, uh, you know, it, again, it's been like five years since I've actively used apps. Um, so my experience is from some time ago and we, you know, we may have um, improvements in that area. Uh, I, I doubt it though. <laughs> Um, but there, the apps that, you know, queer, uh, femmes had access to, they were like, there was this app called her, it may still exist. Uh, it was really buggy, but you know, in terms of like options, like for, um, you know, men who have sex with men, it's. There's there's so many options, right? Yeah. Um, and and, and growing options. Like there's too many. Yeah. Um, for, uh, platforms that are specifically for, um, queer femmes. Yeah. It was slim pickings. I think I, I would, uh, surmise that we're still in the same place. It's such an interesting phenomena to me because even in in in-person spaces, uh, like in terms of like, there's so many gay bars and there's like maybe what a dozen actual lesbian bars across the country and that was something i learned the other the other month i was it's in columbus and they're like we're going to a lesbian bar that's actually kind of rare and i was like mm-hmm. oh wait is it and they're like yeah no the like the number of actual spaces for queer women are few if any which is crazy to me yeah it's 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 pretty upsetting take a stab why do you think so many of these community spaces, whether they be online or in person, always cater towards gay men or men who have sex with men. And there's so many, so fewer options for anyone who doesn't fit that identity. That's a good question. <laughs> I know, it's a big one. I mean, misogyny? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I can absolutely see that being the case. Uh-huh. I mean it's kind of the legacy of, of boys town. Some people prefer to use, uh, North Halstead, Mm -hmm. uh, for that reason, because I think queer men are pretty good at creating, uh, environments that work for them, Mm -hmm. uh, but don't necessarily work for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how we can kind of start moving in the right direction when it comes to queer spaces online. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think everybody's, it's, it's easier to see how that might be remedied in person, but it's a little bit different, I feel like, mm-hmm. online. Um, I mean, it's definitely effort that has to be very intentional. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard work. Um, and, you know, so, like, it's, this, is, this pattern is so pervasive. I'm yeah. even thinking about, um, you know, Steamworks. Yes. Um, there's not really a place like that that exists for um, women or femmes. And I, I think I heard somewhere, uh, don't quote me on this, but I read somewhere that legally we don't have a bathhouse like that for women or femmes because if there's a certain number of women under a roof, it's considered a brothel and those are illegal. I think it's some kind of like oh. archaic law that's never been changed. Yeah. yeah. That... Have you heard of that? No, but now that you say that, Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense because Mm -hmm. we, I mean, we know that the government is very good at telling women what they should do with their bodies Mm -hmm. and don't really care about men. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that really tracks that, that 
uh, is pervasive when it comes to the queer community too. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter who you're there to have sex with, but if you're a woman, mm-hmm. we, we're not there for it. Yeah. Which, wow. That's kind of blowing my mind in a way. Yeah. I don't like that it's blowing my mind. Uh, but that makes a lot of sense, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I think the absence of spaces like that, I think that many folks assume that, oh, they're they're absent because there's uh, no lesbians need for it. don't yeah. do that, yeah. you know, or they're not like hypersexual like gay men, yeah. etc. And it, it, like everybody has you know needs and desires and wants and. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. Um, you hit the right one too. You knew. Um, I think that's a excellent point. Um, I hope I, I I hope that the tide changes when it comes to that because mm-hmm. everybody deserves a, a community online, in person, whatever it may be, to feel like they belong, even if it's not for you know sexual or romantic reasons, yeah. just just to hang out. I mean, that's the essence of Broadway Youth Center for for youth. I mean, we know how important it is for them to have a place to gather mm-hmm. uh, and to, to hang out with people like them. I mm-hmm. mean, I remember my first time stepping into a gay bar and being like, oh my goodness, this mm-hmm. is, I don't have to worry about like my posture mm-hmm. and like the way I'm holding my drink because in a straight bar, those are things I do have to worry about. Oh yeah. And and so like just, just the sheer power of like being in a community space that is like you mm-hmm. is important whether that's it's super important online or in person or whatever that makes me think about um so there's this uh i consider her an icon in the queer community mm-hmm. um in chicago her name's Kristen casa um and she is this like trailblazer of curating queer spaces that are inclusive of all mm-hmm. bodies races genders um i mean it's it's kind of changing the norm and changing the message to you know separate like having a boys town and having some right. hole in the wall like lesbian bar can't we all like, just be gay together yeah like, right what's exactly. the difference <laughs> exactly <laughs> so there's um there's an event called slow-mo um s-l-o-m-o and um, I think there's like there's a bar called The Whistler and they have um, like weekly nights called Slow Mo. And there's also like special I events that'll. I feel like I saw an ad for that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Slow Mo. And they do that. Like where is that located in, in, in Logan to Square? Logan Square. Okay. Uh-huh. And I think there's also like other pop up um, events that happen around the city. And then also there's uh, Queen at mm-hmm. Smart Bar. Um, I've I've been to Sundays. Queen. Yep, Sunday nights uh-huh. makes Mondays at work difficult. Yeah, uh, because everybody likes to be out so late. Well, you know when it's like MLK Monday or when it's like Memorial True. Day, it's like the <laughs> the Queen is packed. Packed. I've I, I've never like I've only gone twice because mm-hmm. tickets are very hard to find for some reason. Um, but yeah, Queen is. I, if space. if we're creating spaces for you know all identities and queer people, mm-hmm. can we also start at like seven p.m. and be I know. and be done by eleven? And then also, does it have to involve alcohol? Right. That's, like I was. That's actually something I've really struggled with moving here because I want to make friends with everybody. I want to mm-hmm. get to know people. But so many of these spaces where you do get to know people, you have to yell over top of you know a thumping DJ set, and you know mm-hmm. everybody's drinking. Which not that there's anything wrong with that. I love 
love those environments, but it also makes genuine personal connection kind of difficult sometimes. Yeah. So I, I can definitely see a need for queer spaces uh, just for people to vibe. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to get to know about, you know, other que- queer people's backgrounds and share coming out stories uh, if mm-hmm. we have them and just random things like that. that, that that's not going to take place you know, at Steamworks or <laughs> anything like that, obviously. So yeah. I don't know. I think the the overarching theme, I guess, of this episode is just how queer people can relate to each other mm-hmm. and, and do so in a way that is uh, inclusive mm-hmm. and uh, keeps, you know, yourself safe and other people safe and, and ensures that um, everybody has an environment where they feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, what... How, how can we do that? Uh, I mean, that's a terrible <laughs> well, question. Talking about it is a good start. This is. And, you know, that's true. That's kind of the purpose of the podcast mm-hmm. is to to raise these issues and say, look, this is something that we can all work on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a business owner. I'm not necessarily a curator mm-hmm. of community spaces, but I can advocate for them, whether it just be you and I talking here Mm -hmm. in this conference room or, you know, to people I see around town, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. I think, um, advocacy and getting the word out that that's a need is important. Yeah. Um, And it's creating space for people to, um, use their voices and, you know, share what their experience are. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we've got research studies, um, you know, that talk about the impact of sex-seeking apps on um, black and brown communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, folks of different body types. Um, but, you know, it would be great if we could have, like, inclusive spaces for folks to talk about this stuff that, you know, wasn't tied to academia or research right like mm-hmm. let's let's just go where we feel welcome mm-hmm. there doesn't have to be necessarily like high academic thought and and, and theses behind why we do what we do mm-hmm. like you know just be nice to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a lame way of putting it but uh truly i think i think the queer community uh would be better suited when it comes to, and i think uh when it comes to to, to the larger change and affecting change on a larger scale, we're mm-hmm. stronger together. I mean, yeah, if, if we can come together as a united force of, of, of queers, that sounds weird for some reason. United but forces of queers. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, if, if, if we can come together as a group, uh, I think that the the gay agenda would be better served that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so wrapping this up, I know this was a long and meandering uh, episode, but... This topic is is broad and it affects kind of every corner of the queer community as to how we relate to each other. I mean, whether it's it's through apps for you know platonic relationships or sexual or romantic. Um, I think all of us are trying to relate to each other in, mm-hmm. in some way, and that's important for our own sense of self, but our own sense of community and how our community is uh, perceived by the rest of the world. Um, and and so I th- I think if I had to like synthesize this all into like nuggets of wisdom, um, it's, uh, maybe I would say in regards to apps, um, be clear with intentions, know what you want to get out of things and make that known. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that way we can kind of all remind ourselves that these apps are, don't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. We're in fact impacting each other. So that's what I would say in regards to the digital space, in regards to in-person mm-hmm. space, um, 
everybody needs somewhere to belong. And just because you feel well served by, you know, establishments in your area doesn't mean everybody else does. So it's yeah. always looking for opportunities to open the door a little bit wider mm-hmm. to make people feel uh, welcome and, and heard and accepted. Whether, yeah. Whatever that may look like, it might, you know, I, it, you might not have the resources to do it now, but it's, it's just starting the conversation. Yeah. So it's a jumping off point. And check yourself if you're white, check yeah. yourself if you're yes. cis, um, and, you know, also be sensitive to the experiences that, you know, folks of color, um, or folks who are trans, um, you know, or folks who are fat experience, um, on the apps. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's important to kind of take it, take a step back sometimes mm. and, you know, try to figure out, okay, like, you know, what are your intentions and how is this shaping how you view people? And, you know, who, who are your sexual partner pool candidates? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. What does, what does that mean yeah. for, for yourself and, and how does that impact other people? More yeah, importantly? Where we could all do well to be a little less selfish, I mm-hmm. think. Turn, turn the lens outwards. Yeah, absolutely. Final, any final thoughts? Speaking broadly, speaking about uh, your role with public health uh, mm-hmm. services you want to plug uh, mm-hmm. that Howard Brown offers. I know we kind of talked about them. I know uh, with COVID, walk-in sexual mm-hmm. health mm-hmm. Um, has kind of taken a step back as to what we can accommodate, but mm-hmm. um Final, final things to plug. Yeah, I mean, our, our walk-in programs are, you know, still committed to providing accessible HIV and STI screening services that are sex positive and trauma-informed, um, regardless of anyone's ability to pay. Um, and we are also committed to continuing to provide those services outside the walls of our clinics um, you know, in places like, you know, libraries, uh, we provide these services at our brown elephant locations. Um, we also go to Steamworks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, my department is, ah, it's my favorite. <laughs> um, I, you can edit that out. <laughs> uh, no, you need to be passionate about your, your department and your place of work. That's, that's what I love about Howard Brown is like, we don't ever have anybody in a role unless they are passionate mm-hmm, about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be passionate about your work here mm-hmm. to, to affect change. I don't think you would last very long if you weren't. Absolutely. Uh, because this this kind of job, you know, whether it's patient facing or internal or, or operations or whatever it may be, um, in order to succeed, you have to have a, a good knowledge of the bigger picture of what we're trying to do here at Howard Brown and mm-hmm. and that's true for any healthcare organization mm-hmm. um so no I'm, I'm I won't edit it out I will keep, <laughs> okay. it, keep it in there that you look at that <laughs> um thank you so much for your time I know this is a huge topic and you tackled it very admirably mm-hmm. um we'll probably have to have you back at some point because I would say your 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 role is so broad mm-hmm. I feel like we just scratched the surface in terms of of what Howard Brown offers uh, and the way it impacts our community. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much. Thank you for creating space. Of course.